What's up, everybody? Today, we have another exciting episode of the Military Millionaire Podcast, and we have a guest, Alan Blaine, who ironically, I it's actually funny how we got connected. I reached out to him because I was getting, I, I don't, I use the word solicited. I get solicited all the time in my DMs, but I got reached out to by something I actually thought was an interesting opportunity about engagement on Instagram, social media. And the guy was intriguing enough that I was like, hey, you know what? Do you have any references? Anyone you've worked with? And he's like, yeah, here's five or six people. It's like, okay, cool. So I reached out to all of them and Alan was one of them. And I liked his profile. We started talking. I was like, hey, what's your story? We went back and forth and I was like, huh, we should, you should totally come talk on the podcast. This is really cool. And I it, just a super random and organic passing, which is really cool and really fun for me because it seems like that's not nearly as common these days. And so he is a former California Highway Patrol police officer, or state trooper, I guess, and uh, who built a $40 million real estate empire, then moved to Nashville or Nashville area, and has just been dominating in life. And I'm just really excited to sit and talk and go through his story and share with you and dig a little bit more into all this and get to know him. And uh, this is gonna be a lot of fun. Alan, welcome to the show. David, I'm stoked to be here. I appreciate you having me on, brother. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How did you, let's hear the backstory, right? How'd you get started in everything, right? Real estate. Yeah. $40 million real estate portfolio or empire or business and police officer or state trooper, not usually a hand in hand, like accomplishment. So how does that come to be? Yeah, I'll tell you what, for sake of time, I'll try to keep this tight. Uh, <laughs> it was obviously an overnight success. Yeah, and obviously an overnight success. I worked for 31 years to, to have an overnight success. But no, I'm 51 years old now, and it's crazy. I've been married to my college sweetheart since age 20. We were going to celebrate 31 years of marriage this year. She was a volleyball player in college. I was playing baseball. We met. My only dream was to play Major League Baseball and someday have a family. I wanted to be a husband and father and play Major League Baseball. Career-wise, I didn't have a clue. It was baseball or it was, it was baseball. And so once we got married after our sophomore year in college and I was having shoulder issues and as a pitcher, I started realizing that major league dream is probably not a reality. I gave that up to go to work and get married and support myself and my wife and future family. We now have six children, all boys, except for five of them. <laughs> five year old, <laughs> one boy. <laughs> That's the best way you could have said that. That's awesome. That lands yeah. Out. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole nother story. But so I, I didn't know what to do. So I started in construction. I started in construction because my father was a home builder and my grandfather was a real estate broker. So the family business, quote unquote, started back in 1958 or something like that. So I start working for the family, swinging a hammer, seven bucks an hour in 1992 when we got married. And I did that for framing, trim carpentry, all that for the first six, seven years. And then I realized I don't, this, I'm not, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. What am I going to really do? And again, I really had no big vision for my life. And that we might come back to that. I don't know, but that was a problem. It was yeah. a big problem. So at 27 years old or whatever it was, I applied for the California Highway Patrol, I guess at 25, because it took two years to get hired. The process, and by the way, yeah, in some states it's trooper. It's officer in California. Yeah. It's the California Highway Patrol and we were police officers. But anyway, 
I, I was one of the one in the hundred. Statistically, one in a hundred got hired that got that applied for the California Highway Patrol. So I didn't even think it was going to be a reality, but I happened to get hired. So I did that. I'll never forget. I know you're military and I know this is the Military Millionaire Podcast. I'll never forget, man, that first two weeks. It was a 27-week live-in. California Highway Patrol Academy is no joke. At least it wasn't then. The first two weeks, guys are getting paid at the time. So we got to go back however many years to make the dollars have some contact. <laughs> but we were getting paid, I think, 35, four, 3,500, four grand a month to go through the academy as a cadet, a guaranteed job at five grand a month and up from there once you graduated after six and a half months. And I was watching former military studs, Marines like yourself saying, I'm out of here two weeks in. Now, granted, a lot of the afterwards were, I don't need to go through this again. Yeah. But I'm sitting there going, man, I've never been in the military. I'm 26 years old or whatever. I think 26. I was just a athlete and I don't, um, it, but all it did was just made my resolve that much stronger. I'm like, there is no, no, I'll have to fail me out of this place. I'll have to fail out of this place. I will not quit. But anyway, I did that for five years. I loved it. I loved community, the brotherhood. I loved the camaraderie that we had. I loved the adrenaline. I loved everything about it. The high speed chases, all the things I literally enjoyed it. But what I realized David was I wasn't wired for a 30 year government career. I just wasn't. I thought I could. I was excited about it for a season. And I realized I just can't get excited about that for a lifetime and call that. I, I just was more entrepreneurial. I just don't know how to say it any other way. So I retired from the California Highway Patrol with a few months shy of five years, five years that I've been fully vested in earning 3% a year times five years at age 50, which would have been a year ago. I'm 51 mm. for the rest of my life. Not that's big money, but I didn't even care. I was like, I'm going to go build a business. And I was so excited about that. There's a lot of other story in there, but started into construction, became a general contractor, was building homes in 2008 when that whole fiasco happened in our industry. And at the time we were building, we had about 30 employees. We were managing, we were managed, we had a real estate management division, property management division. We had a new construction division. We were, we would buy land, develop it, and we wouldn't sell lots. We would build it out ourselves at a couple homes a month. And these are move up homes. They're not entry level. They're not high end. They're at the time, $300,000 homes in Central Valley of California. Three, two. Yeah. Four, three, three, two, maybe a four, three at the most. We're talking Central California. We're talking homes, 1300 square feet to 3000 square feet. And that most of the developments that are popping up around San Diego County right now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that's what we were doing. And it was going well until 2008, 2008 hit. We could, we had inventory on the ground. We couldn't sell for less for catastrophic losses, Mm -hmm. which we eventually moved, but we had to figure something out. So we just shifted very quickly. I'm thankful. My brother, who has since taken his life, but at the time was my partner, and he was on the sales side. He was, we were both licensed real estate brokers, but he did the selling. I ran the construction company, and we, it was actually his idea, so I can't take credit for it, but he's like, why don't we start flipping homes? End of 08. We had the resources, we had the teams, we had the employees, we had HR, we had everything. We just didn't have work. So we had some money, we had great credit, we had great relationship, great relationships in the community with investors. And at the time, interest rates, nobody was making anything on their money. 
So we were able to access money. We were able to go to the courthouse steps. We started buying homes at auction at averaged about one a day. So we're, we're turning about 20 homes a month. And that's crazy. 2009, 10, 11, 12, when other builders were hurting, major builders going bankrupt, we're sitting here going, man, we've got the best thing going. The, our best years ever. But and and that's crazy is to think that there was a house a day going up for auction and you weren't winning them all. There were, there were more oh, than a house a oh, day no. going for auction. That's just, oh, and that was just in perspective how bad things were. That yeah. Was, yeah, David. And that was just in one County. That was yeah. a County with a population, a total population of 300,000. <clears> so it, it wasn't even a major city in this rural farming area where we were doing business at the time. Yeah. And we were, I don't know how many were selling a day, maybe five, five a day would actually go each day. And that's how we were able to pick up one a day on average. Again, we averaged about 15 or 20 a month. So those were some great years. And what I realized they were also, they also became some of my darkest years. And I don't know if we want to go into this or not for sake of time, but a lot of things happened in my life during that time where we're running a $40 million a year business. I'm pulling in a seven figure annual income. And yet my marriage wasn't doing super well. My children were, they, I wasn't spending time with them. I, my health wasn't where it needed to be. Went through a lot of dark time with divorce within not my wife and I, but my parents and suicides within my, my, my brother and my sister, a couple years apart. There was just, I got hammered in, in a very relatively short window of time. I started drinking. I got a DUI. The CHP officer that used to arrest 15 or 20 of those a month was the guy in jail. And this is only eight years ago, David. This isn't, I was 42 or three, I guess at the time that we're not talking decades ago. And that's when I really started reevaluating what in the world am I doing? By the way, every, when we were buying those 20 homes a month, we were shoving the ones that would cash flow, we would set those aside and throw them in LC until the LC got to a certain size and we'll start a new LC and keep doing the same. So Smart. we did end up with some real estate over those years. But in 2016, I, I completely got out of real estate. So today I own real estate. I do some hard money lending. I do no active work in real estate. I've done a 180 and moved into the nutrition and health and wellness space because it was where my passion was all along. It's where I felt like I could help the most people. And it gave me the freedom to live the lifestyle I wanted with my family, as opposed to just making a bunch of money for money's sake. It's the short version of my story. We've moved 22 times in 30 years. So I know I'm not military, but maybe we have that in common. <laughs> I've moved 22 times in 30, almost 31 years of marriage. So there's a lot more to the story. My goodness. There's a lot to unpack there, though. Yeah, like hours worth. So I know we just have a few minutes, but oh, we got some time. But goodness gracious, we'll go back and we'll go to the. How in the world do you manage 20 flips a month, a $40 million a year real estate business for seven, eight years? That's more than that. You were doing it as a developer before it got to quite that scale, but. So I've interviewed Eric Chastegi. Right. I don't know if you're familiar with the Real Estate Rockstars podcast, but he was doing, he's done probably 10 a month-ish. He might've got, I think he's gotten a little bit further along than that at one point. At one point he was doing that while still living in California and he was flipping that in Austin and he'd fly out every other week. And I was like, you're crazy. But 
20 a month is you're also crazy. That's insane. I, I can't, I hate, I lose my mind when I manage a flip. I had a great team, David. I had a great team. I had a background in construction. Like I said, I started swinging a hammer at, as a teenager, but as a little guy, I mean, before a teenager, but for pay, time as a, starting at 20 years old. Yeah, exactly. Legally. So I knew construction. I knew development. I knew I've grown up around it, real estate and all that. But really what I knew is some great people. So what I didn't tell you is I partnered with my younger brother, the, my late younger brother, who, by the way, he was the Keller Williams agent that at the, the, until he passed in 2018, he was the, I forget which category, but one, like the top Keller Williams agent in the nation in certain categories, but like he was doing 1500, 1500 transactions a year. Just not, he didn't have, he wasn't a, a, over an office. It was just, he was an independent, working as an independent agent, even though he was a broker, he was an independent agent within a Keller Williams branch. And then he had built up his own team of transaction coordinators and realtors that worked with him, maybe a team of 75 people at the time doing 1500 a year. But back to the flips and your question, we had built up a team of 50, we wanted to stay under that 50 employee limit just for a lot of reasons or a few reasons, but we had 50 employees. We had different divisions. I had my brother handling the sales. I had a 10 year younger cousin and another eight or 12 year younger cousin. One handled the, all the construction. So one ran the, the, all the field operations. Okay. The other cousin who I trusted with my life, he was handling all the buying. He was at the auction every day. He was working the valuations with my brother every day, looking at the spreadsheets, going to the courthouse and all that. And so I was just able to manage the whole operation and make sure we were always funded, fully funded. So raising money, doing what we needed to do there. And it worked really well. I did not stop doing it because it stopped working. No. It was going very well when I actually handed the company over to all three of them. But that's how it ended in 2016, July, 2016, June, 2016 was my last day there. I literally just gave the company to them my interest in it because I, we were all owners in the company, but I gave away my interest in it to them and walked away to do what I do now. Never regretted yeah. it either. Yeah, man. Yeah. If you're focusing on your zone of genius, you're working with people you can trust and everybody's a rock star. that, I mean, it, it, having a good team, that makes sense. That's a lot of volume. That's it's hard. I couldn't to, have done it on my own. There's no way around. Yeah, man. Okay. And then I, I'm, I don't want to dig you're right, because unpacking a lot of the grief and the the rough years there obviously would probably eat up a lot of the show. But I don't want to skip over it entirely because there's so many similarities. We talked when we were talking about having you on the podcast. You were like, well, "I'm not military, like, but yeah. firefighter, police, law enforcement, military. It's all public service, law enforcement, military, whatever. It's all super common ground." And there's a lot of similarities there. And unfortunately, one it, that seems to be a common thread is dealing with people close to us passing away from suicide. And uh, two that were that close to you within a number of years is I've lost six that I deployed with since 2010. So, and yeah, sorry. One of them wasn't self-imposed, but that I know of. But I'm curious, just... 
without digging too deep into it, it sounds like you hit a pretty rough patch there between that and then the DUI and everything else. But that's a lot of grief and a lot to work through and unpack. And you obviously came out the other end, you handed the keys over, but I can't imagine that you were like, just woke up one day and you were like, this is the sum of my problems. Here you go. I'm better. How did you no. unpack and get to where you are now? Like the mental piece of that, like the, the Phoenix, yeah. as they say, the come on, that's a lot to, to work through. Yeah. Yeah. Great question, actually. And I hope I can share something that'll be a value, value to your listeners and anyone hearing this. Because yeah. I didn't even mention it at all, David. Even before that, what I'm going to call that really dark three or four year period, we had a teenage daughter diagnosed with cancer. We had a, which is she's 29 and eight, eight and married and happy and healthy and doing great today. Awesome. So that's a happy ending. But you don't know that. You get the news your 14 year old daughter has cancer. That's no father or mother oh, yeah. wants to hear that. Anyway, there's many other things. That's why I'm writing a book that's coming out next month. No. And yada, there's, I'm going to, I put it all in there and it's, it's a, well, we're gonna plug, but, it's not but just a, the name of it is behind his head. <laughs> yeah. I got to duck down a little bit. There <laughs> we go. Life succeeded. Anyway, but anyway, yeah, when I got to that place, it was the divorce of my parents, which I had no idea that would affect me so much 43 year, years into their marriage. And at mm -hmm. me at 43 years old, I'm like, I'm a man. Why? Why is that bothering me so much? But there was a lot more to that. And then you're right. My sister taking her life a year after that, my brother taking his life two years after that, it was just boom. But the answer to your question is I would say vision. And that might sound like there's no context to it when I just say that, or I don't know if it may even sound cliche to someone, but for me, it is 100% vision. See, I never really had a clear vision for my life. It was just, Hey, if I can just pay the bills, if I can just get through the day and get through the week and live life to for the, live for the weekend, the thing, and I love to fish. So <laughs> go fish and have time to go do the things I like to do. Life's good. Problem is that's not in my opinion and my experience. It's not a super strong vision mm. is, and that's what most people are living with. They're living with just a, everybody has a vision. The crack head has a vision. And, in, and their vision is really strong because they'll do whatever it takes to accomplish their mission. And we know that, whatever it takes. And, and yet most of us, we have a vision of some sort, but it's just not super compelling. And so when we get punched in the face, like life does to all of us, and that's a whole nother huge tip and realization I had was I was the guy that was kept looking for the green pasture, like the green, like this idea. I didn't realize what I was doing. I didn't even know what I was doing. I couldn't even articulate it at the time. But most of my adult years, those first 20, probably I kept thinking with this particular job or living in this particular area or initially this particular wife, which was a great choice. And I still have her, but I'm just saying, like, I always thought it was something or somewhere that was going to make things be smooth. And what I've realized, David, is it's never, yeah, we have smooth seasons, but like waves, they come in sets and they hit and then it's calm for a while and the next one comes and that's it. But if we, and that's the reality, but if we have a vision that is compelling, that actually we're excited about the purpose that we're spending most of our waking hours doing, that, that we're passionate about, and I could tell you what my vision is and why I'm passionate and all that, but it doesn't matter. It's that you, the listener, whoever, we, each one of us has to have our vision that's so compelling that when we get punched in the face, 
when my brother took his life, when my sister took her life, when my parents' marriage was falling apart, when this, when that, when I get a DUI, I can sit there and go, I can look beyond the storm. I can look beyond the challenge and go, I know where I'm going. I know why I know my mission. I know my purpose. I know who I know who I'm going with, the who, the what, the why, who I'm going with, my community, my, my comrades. And I know why we're doing this. And when that, when I got to that place and I looked at my career, I looked at everything. I reevaluated everything I was doing, everything. And I'm like, I can't, I don't see the purpose, the passion, the mission. I don't have it for what I was doing at that time. When I changed to say, this is the calling I feel like God's put on my life. This is where I need to go. This is where I can impact the most lives. It's about other people. And now, hey, we're all about entrepreneurship and making a bunch of money. The difference is now every dollar I make represents someone else's life being positively impacted. And I know like my brother, for example, I wanted him so bad. I wanted to help him with his health because I knew that biologically there are things that can help someone's mental health. I knew that science shows it. And so I wanted to help him, but he didn't want to be helped in that area. Same thing with my sister. I knew both of them were struggling with mental health. And so now it's, hey, I've realized someone has to participate, being willing to participate in their own rescue. I can't save someone if they're not willing to participate in their own rescue. But now my vision is so big, David, that's like we're impacting thou literally thousands with what we're doing. And not that someone else has to impact thousands or do anything like what I do. But having a vision of where we're going, know why we're going, then who we're going with is a game changer, at least in my experience. And I've seen it in others to be able to just, it doesn't make it easy to go through the tough times, but it makes it so doable. And the, the grief that you're talking about, it's like, hey, I don't have to get hung up in this spot and stuck here because I'm going somewhere very important. And the people I'm going there with and the people I'm going there for are counting on me. It really is a game changer. It, re it really is. Instead of getting caught up in that circular voices in our head and, and all the things that I got caught up in that caused me to start drinking, that caused me to cause all kinds of problems in my life. No, I love that answer. I agree completely. And I tell, if we turn this back towards service members, I, I tell them all the time that I think the thing that sets people who really struggle apart from, or who don't struggle apart from those who really do when they leave the service is purpose and identity. Like the people who their entire identity is I'm a Marine or I'm in the military. And then that's their purpose is serving or, you know, that cause that's great until you get out and then you get out and you're like, who's Dave? I was a Marine, but now who am I? And now what do I do? Like I, I was in the military, but now what men, especially everybody, but especially men need that purpose in life. And if you don't have that, you just get lost. That is the fastest way to find yourself in a world of hurt mentally. And I'll tell you, I, everybody struggles that with, with that when they leave the military. I mean, I was financially free and ready to rock and roll and had a community and was like, oh, I'm going to be great. And I struggled with it. Everybody I talked to struggles with it. But the vision, the purpose, the plan, the idea, and you don't have to have it ironed out and know exactly what you're going to do forever, but you've just got to have you got to know who you are and you've got to have something. You got to have something you're working towards. And yeah, so I love that answer. That's, 
that's right on par with what I tell, try to tell people. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because you mentioned identity. And for me, and this is just me, I don't know, obviously everyone has different beliefs and religious beliefs and all that, but I found my identity in Jesus Christ. I am a Christian, so I feel like I would be negligent to not say that to your audience because that's a part of who I am. That's a part of my story. And I think you hit on, you hit the nail on the head, David. When I was a college baseball, all the way back in high school, but I'll just skip to college. I was a college baseball player. I had, my identity was, I'm a college baseball player, man. I had a community. I had a team. I'm going to the major leagues. In my head, that's where I was going. But at the time, I had a community. You're right. In the CHP with the California Highway Patrol, I had my identity was chp and i saw so same thing as you described with the military i had my team there our, the boys in blue whatever you want to call it and so when i lost that then was just i did i really struggled with my identity my identity was my family was a solid single unit family and then that falls apart it's like there's got to be something like you said you've got to be strong in your identity and who you are for me it's who I am in Christ because that will never change but all the other stuff around me can change but that is critical that someone knows who am I where am I going who am I going with and why and without that oh man then we're looking for what that can give to us in all the wrong places and it's not a good scene i yeah i agree completely all right so Fast forward, you hand the keys over and you're like, and th then you make what some might say is the single smartest decision you can make in your adult life, which is you leave California. Um, I say that jokingly, having <laughs> yes. been born there and having all, a bunch of family there. And actually you lived in Northern California, which for anyone who's not familiar with California, there's like this weird map you could draw where it's, it goes from like somewhat normal then it gets to like Orange County and it's like normal. And then it gets like really crazy and then it kind of normals out a little bit. Then it gets super crazy again. And then once you get north of the Bay Area, it gets really normal again. And then you hit Oregon and you're like, what just happened? So that's my version of describing. That's California. good. I've never heard that before. <laughs> that's I got, good. I got family in that all weird. over like Petaluma, Bodega Bay, Nevada, had cabins. My grandparents had five cabins in Lassen and Shasta area growing up. And it gets beautiful once you get north of the Bay. But uh, that stretch between... LA and the Bay is you scratch your head. You're like, I'm either driving through nothing or I don't really know why I'm in the state. Yes. Anyway. And that's where I grew up. That's where <laughs> I grew up, David. Right there. We call it the armpit of California. <laughs> yep. But so there's you, some great people there. There's some great people. Absolutely. Yeah. There's great people everywhere. I always try to remind myself. I'm like, man, if I watch the news, the world's ending. And if I turn the news off, the world's amazing. So you moved to Nashville. You hand the keys over or the partnership over. You moved to Nashville. And life, for the oversimplification of things, life is good now. You're changing lives. You've got a, your health, wellness, yep. the podcast, the book. What is the health and wellness aspect? What is it that you're working on now? You mentioned you're helping yeah. thousands of people. Yeah. What is the passion project that you've got going on? Yeah, thanks for asking. I love talking about it. In a nutshell, at 20... I, which I skipped a lot of my story, obviously, for sake of time. But in our mid-20s, my wife, Nicole, was diagnosed. She's a college athlete, healthy, fit, beautiful. Mid-20s, three children later, diagnosed with chronic fatigue, syndrome, fibromyalgia, IBS, depression, insomnia, hormonal imbalances. Now, 
not any one of those probably is life-threatening in and of itself, but all five of them, it was a challenge. I was CHP at the time, working shift work and wanting to fix my wife. And it took us a couple years to finally find some whole food nutritional supplements from a now 65-year-old company nobody's ever heard of. Crazy. I say nobody. Obviously, somebody's heard of them. But 99% of people here in the States that I meet have never heard the name. And so we get on the products. Six months later, her body resolves itself of every one of those issues I mentioned. She has been, she's my age. She's looks like she's 30. She's healthy, happy, awesome to this day, all these years later. So we believed in nutrition. We believed in supplementation because we knew we weren't getting what we need from our diet, like everyone else on the planet, at least here in North America. So we believed in it. We took it every day for 15 years leading or 16 years leading up to that 2016 when I got out of real estate. But when I was in that dark space and I was reevaluating my life, I'm like, what else would I do? What else do I believe in? What else could I be passionate about? What else could make an unlimited scalable residual income in addition to my real estate investments, but my working hours? What can my working hours do to produce residual income that I could then invest in residual income real estate? Because that's my yeah. investment of choice by far. And I looked at this company that was a direct selling company where I could be an independent distributor. I believed in the company. I believed in the products. I'm like, this makes sense. I get to coach. I get to train. I get to help others. I get to help others get healthier, happier, maybe prevent someone else's brother from taking his life. And I get to help about in, in our organization of thousands. I don't even know. There's well over 10,000 in our organization now, eight years later, about 10% maybe will join us in business and have that opportunity, almost a, a franchisee or whatever. And so we get to help teach and train and coach others to create additional income. We have several people. In fact, our company, I'll just do a little brag real quick. Our company has their annual North American convention every year in July. We just had it last weekend in San Antonio, nice and cool down in San Antonio. And in July, no, it was smoking hot, but we had a great time. But I'm, I was so honored to see they recognize the top, the first place, the second place, and the third place teams in North America. And all three, one from Oregon, one from Idaho, and one from can't remember the state anyway, are in Nicole, my wife and I's organization. So we're helping people win on the financial side too. So you ask why I'm passionate. We're offering now people, we're offering people health solutions. We're offering people like premium health solutions that were clinically proven. We're offering those that want it a residual income stream solution. And we're offering people a community. And that kind of comes all the way full circle back to where we were a minute ago. It's like, we've got people joining us that go, man, this community you all built rocks. I love the income. I love the products. But some of them are saying, I think I like the community better. This is this. I don't have this at my church. I don't have this at my job. I don't have this anywhere. So that's why we're so passionate about it. It's like we're getting to serve others at really what's more important when you start thinking, what are our greatest needs? Health, wealth, relationships. We're dressing all three in some way, shape or form, right? Oh, yeah. Obviously, they're spiritual. But anyway, that's what we're doing and we're excited about it. We're having a blast. Man, that's awesome. I love it. And you're clearly passionate about it, which is great. And that's, the, I think, the most important piece of the puzzle is you're helping people. You're passionate about it. You love it. You've had just a, quite the journey over the last 
I guess you said 30, 31 years, right? From college. What do you think? Like looking back baseball to police officer, to real estate, to health or back, which I guess is full circle back towards the baseball. So we've, but then also like the coaching and the podcast and the author side now, any common thread, I know we're coming up towards the end here, but any common thread that you see through it of like one thing that you're like, man, that is the character trait or that is the, like the thing that I'm just like, yep. That's what carried me through all this through the years. That's a weird way to ask that question, but I think you know where I'm going with the, that. The common thread when you were asking that, the first thing I thought of, but I don't think this is what you're asking, was service. I think the common thread was service. And maybe, maybe it is what you're asking. I think the reason why I was attracted to police work was I wanted to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And the adrenaline, okay? And, and the badge and the gun and, the, and all the <laughs> uniform, of course. Yeah. Because in my mind at the time, I don't know how prestigious it is today with the way our culture has changed and the way many states view law enforcement. I sure appreciate the men and women that are out there doing it, as well as all of you that have served or are serving. Hats off to you guys, men, gals. I, I salute you. Seriously. And I'll just say that. I'm so grateful for my freedom. I hate seeing it being taken away in various forms and for men and women that have given their lives for it. And uh, anyway, but I think my heart was to make a difference. I know my heart was to make a difference. I want to do something meaningful. That's what it was. I wanted to do something meaningful. And then I realized I wasn't a great government employee for 30 years. I was for five, but I just, what, that wasn't the path I was being called to do for 30 years of my life. And, uh, and so then it was about I, my family's growing, man. I've got six kids. I'm like, how am I going to make some really, I got to make some money. So then I jumped into the real estate side and construction and all that. And it was great financially, but the missing piece for me then that was, I think it's service. It was really, I didn't really feel like I was making an impact. So then you jump back into what I'm doing today and I'm serving at a level I never even imagined possible. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I think service to others is the common thread of what or my heartbeats kind of been all along, even though I couldn't have articulated it and didn't even know it in those early years. No, I think that absolutely answers the question. And I think that's a good answer. Alan, where can people get and all I think, you? and I'll add one more. No, I'll just add, add one more thing if I could back to the past work. Not only did I realize I was really driven and entrepreneurial, which didn't jive with being a California Highway Patrol really well, but on that topic of service and making a difference is service, certainly, but making a difference for law enforcement. I know your audience is for the most part military, but in law enforcement, I think a lot of law enforcement officers feel like me, like I want to make a difference, but then you get on the streets and you realize you're not making a difference. You're not really making the difference you thought you were making maybe, or at the level, maybe better said, you thought you would, when you take some dirt bag and you put them in jail and they're right back out on the street doing the same thing over and over again. It feels a little <laughs> like you're not making a difference. <laughs> yeah. So that was a big part of it for me, just for clarification, as I'm really processing that a little more, just to be clear, but you asked where people can find me. Is that what you said? Yeah. Sorry. I wanted to make sure I gave you a chance to plug the book and yeah, let people know where they can reach out and get a hold of you. I appreciate that so much. I'm on all the different social medias. I don't do a lot on some, as much on some as others. I prefer Facebook and Instagram, but I'm on, I think, pretty much all the major channels. Alan Blaine, it's a unique spelling. It's A-L-L-A-N, and then Blaine is B as in boy or Bravo, if you prefer. 
L-A-I-N. I got all messed up with the phonetic alphabet, David, man. I was, I got it. I was CHP was, I don't even know what you call it, but it wasn't Bravo. It was boy. Okay. It was Adam, boy, Charles, David. Adam, boy, Charles, David. And then, by the way, I didn't tell you this, but when I got back in construction, I missed police work and I got back on with a PD for just a year, long enough to realize, okay, yeah, I don't need to be doing this. But for a year, and they used Alpha, Bravo, Charlie. So I'm messed up now. I'm like a bilingual guy that doesn't know what language he's even speaking, but Blaine is the last name. So Alan Blaine, B-L-A-I-N. Facebook, Instagram, or maybe Eat Simpler, everything is on the contact page of alanblaine.com. Don't get me started. No, on and the, the uh, book, yeah. Book. Yep. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, we got a little delay, I think, here. No, you're good. You're absolutely good. I was just say, I was just going to say, don't get me started on the phonetic alphabet, the, the 24-hour time clock, and the metric system, and how messed up the U.S. is by not teaching... Everybody, Alpha, right. Bravo, Charlie, Delta, Echo, Fox, 24 hours in a day, not 12 and 12. And freaking why the hell we think we're better than everybody. We should just use metric, but whatever. But yeah, no, plug the book yeah. real quick. Yeah. <laughs> it would definitely simplify things. You're so right. Skip the AM and the PM. The book, I'll just tell your listeners this. I'm really excited about the book. I wrote the book. You got a little bit of my story and stuff here on this episode. I started the book before I started my podcast called Life's Hard, Succeed Anyway. I named the book the same, Life's Hard, Succeed Anyway. It should. I don't know when this will air, but pre-sales of the book, 99 cent copies of the e-copy should be available early, early August. And then the launch date for hard copy paperback is like September 21st, I believe. But the book essentially is my life story the hard I've been through, and I didn't mention all of it on this episode. You got a little taste, but more important than it's not just a storybook. I wanted to write a book that took the lessons I've learned, that the things that have helped me weather the storms and be living a successful life that's fit and healthy. And I ran six miles this morning. I've crushed my gym workout, run marathons, do things in my fifties that most people in their thirties can't do. I have a happy, thriving marriage of 31 years, six healthy kids, financially free, and all the things I think everybody desires, meaning I'm relationship rich in my life, but my life's not easy. And I wanted everybody to have hope because in my coaching and teaching, I realized years ago, people are looking at me thinking, that's great for you, Alan. Good for you. You just don't understand my life. You just don't understand my heart. You don't understand my marriage, my health, my this, my finances, whatever the heart is. And I said, yeah, no, I may not understand exactly your situation, but I understand hard and you can succeed anyway. Let me share with you what I've been through. And when they started realizing, whoa, you went through this, that, and the other in the midst of building a successful business and maintaining your health and this, that, and the other, and you're succeeding anyway. Okay. I'm listening now. Tell me, talk to me. So that's what the book is all about. It's very general. It's just about living a successful life in general and how to go through challenges, adversity, and turn it into opportunity and just crush life in all the areas we all care about. We all have in common. We want to be healthy. We want to be happy. We want to have, we want to be relationship rich. We want to be financially free. And that book is hopefully going to help everyone get a, fur, a, a lot further down the road towards those goals. Absolutely. 
No. And this episode, just to clarify for anyone listening, will come out during the 99 cent presale. So go grab a copy. Love it. Thank you, sir. Unless my editors like really mess something up and, but it should definitely come out before that launch in September. Yeah. No, we'll be good. And Alan, thank you so much for joining us. This is fun. Your story is incredible and always fun to just, I I love the whole like organic, just random crossing paths conversation turning into a podcast. It's, It's nice. It's refreshing. I go have fun it. on the water. I, I forgot and how we got connected. What's that? I just said, go have fun on the water. Today's going to be a good day for you. Thank you. Look forward to it. Yeah. Getting ready to head out on the lake and do some wake surfing and have a blast with a family that just showed up for, from Georgia to visit us here in Nashville. So we're getting ready to have a good time, but yeah, I'd forgotten how we met and I'm glad you said that, but that is pretty ironic, right? Someone's pitching you on messenger. And using me as a reference, which I'd never said they could, but I don't mind at all. And then you reach out to me for a reference. And here we are having a conversation on the Military Millionaire <laughs> Podcast, having a good time. I love it. Yep. And probably life, lifelong. For- there you go. Yep. We'll stay talking on Instagram for sure. <laughs> Alan, have a great day, brother.